The Supreme Court heard arguments this morning over whether corporations can be sued in the U.S. for human rights abuses committed overseas. It centers around a 200-year-old law called the Alien Tort Statute. The justices hinted they may bar victims of overseas atrocities from suing corporations for complicity. The case involves alleged wrongdoing in New York. Victims of attacks over 10 years in Israel and the Palestinian territories say Arab Bank's New York branch distributed millions of dollars to terrorists and their families. Our guests are Stephen Vladek, a professor at the University of Texas Law School, and Julian Koo, a professor at Hofstra Law School. Stephen, the court agreed to decide this issue of corporate liability in 2011. What happened at that point? So, hi, June. Yeah, in 2011, in a case called Kiobel versus Royal Dutch Petroleum, um, after the court actually had granted certiorari and heard argument on the same question it heard this morning, the justices actually set the case for re-argument on the separate question of when this statute, the Alien Tort Statute, can be used to bring suit for human rights violations that occur outside the United States. That is to say, when does the statute apply extraterritorially? In the Kiobel decision in 2012, the court said, not that often, um, almost never. Um, and so the, it ducked the question of corporate liability. The case is now back because a couple of lower courts have found some circumstances where it's still possible to bring extraterritorial alien tort statute claims. And so the question the court avoided five years ago has returned to the foil now in the Jesner case. So, Julian, the, the court seems to have been trending in a direction uh, that was more favorable for corporations. What's the argument that the other side is making that corporations should be liable in these circumstances? Well, I think the other side is making the argument that uh, when you uh, – the statute doesn't say anything about individuals or corporations. It just says um, you have a right to sue, and it doesn't distinguish. And so the argument that the plaintiffs are really making is why should corporations be any different from – individual people who can definitely be held liable for these sorts of violations in U.S. courts. And so the question, the plaintiffs are saying, well, corporations should be just as liable as an individual person would be uh, if you're sued under this uh, statute. So it doesn't really matter whether it's overseas or not. As long as you have enough of a connection to U.S., their argument is corporations and people should be treated the same. And Steve, what's the argument on the other side? So the argument on the other side is that um, just as the Supreme Court has said that the alien tort statute should not be available unless the underlying claim is based on some widespread consensus norm of international human rights law, so too theories of liability, including who can be liable for human rights violations, should not be available unless they too have similar support in the international community. Um, and I don't think it'll surprise folks that there's not um, necessarily widespread consensus within the international community about the circumstances in which corporations can and should be liable. If anything, the United States is a, a country in which there tends to be more corporate liability than is true in many of our you know, friends and, and fellow sovereigns overseas. So, Julian, wh how did things play out in court today? What, what, was, what was the line of questioning that the sides faced? So I think what was interesting about the case I was at the argument this morning and so I think there, there are a lot of focuses on the foreign relations impact of allowing these sorts of lawsuits. And the U.S. government also had a representative making an argument there as well about um, there was a foreign relations impact, but the court was trying to struggle with, well, does it always, was there always a foreign relations problem if you allow a suit against corporations? Would it really affect the type of diplomatic friction we would have? So there was a lot of energy spent 
considering um, whether or not allowing suits against corporations would cause more or less uh, or have any serious effect on the type of diplomatic problems caused by these sorts of lawsuits. Because foreign countries are always typically involved um, in these sorts of uh, cases. In this case, the defendant, Arab Bank, is a major bank in Jordan, and you know the government of Jordan is very unhappy about this whole process. So there's always going to be a foreign affairs impact. And they did sort of focus on that issue and try to think about what the best way to interpret the statute is to try to minimize those disputes, those problems with foreign countries. Stephen, it appeared that it was a split between the liberal justices and the conservative justices. Why would a case like this split the court that way in about a minute? <laughs> um, I'll do and then we'll go, we'll go back to it. <laughs> So, I mean, the short version is that there is a long-running disagreement between the more conservative and the more liberal justices, not just with regard to human rights claims, but with regard to a whole universe of claims about when the federal courts should be implying and fashioning remedies that Congress has not provided expressly. Um, in one very important respect, it is that fight that is at the heart of the alien tort statute, where you have this one-sentence cryptic statute from 1789 that's being used today to prosecute human rights violations all over the world. So it's that same political divide about exactly how much authority judges should have to recognize remedies that Congress has not made express. We've been talking to Stephen Vladek, professor at the University of Texas Law School, and Julian Koo, professor at Hofstra Law School, about Supreme Court arguments this morning over whether corporations can be sued in the U.S. for human rights abuses committed overseas. Julian, you were in the courtroom during the oral arguments. Can you tell us which of the justices was most engaged in the argument? Well, to me, the most interesting one was Justice Gorsuch, the new, the newest justice who hasn't really written or spoken about this topic. And he really was really engaged, and he had a completely different approach to the statute that was that he wanted to sort of explore. Um, and this was really kind of an unusual approach that I think um, would really be a radical change in the jurisprudence of this. Um, would also favor the corporations, but for different reasons. So I thought that was very interesting that he was very engaged. Would you explain and a little bit about what he his, was his proposing? View is that should, his view is that we should read the statute, or at least he suggested, we should read the statute to be about situations where the United States government uh, is its own sort of responsibility is at stake, not cases not involving any sort of U.S. government or U.S. nationals. So he really thinks this case should be about things that have a tighter connection to the United States in this case, he says, for instance, would have foreigners in a foreign country. There's no relationship, and not only that, there's you know there, there needs to be some sort of America, a tighter relationship to the U.S. Um, than was in this type of case. And so his approach, I think, is you know very sort of strong on historical grounds, but is really different from the approach the court has taken in their previous two decisions. Well, Steve, this is a statute, isn't it, that seems to have uh, you know a reach all across the globe. I mean, it, which seems a little different than what Justice Gorsuch is arguing. Yeah, I mean, I think the you know, in, in some ways, part of what I, I think we saw this morning and we'll see whenever the opinion comes out is some relitigation of the two prior major Supreme Court decisions about this statute. The Sosa case from 2004, which I think to the surprise of many actually deeply um, – invigorated the notion that the statute allows for um, widespread litigation of human rights claims and the Kiobel decision in 2012, which makes it much harder to litigate those claims when all the relevant facts 
took place outside the United States. You know, corporate liability is in some respects a bit of a distraction from what really is the more important question of what kinds of cases, insofar as where they occur, should the statute encompass. There's actually, you know, as, 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 as the parties all briefed in this case, there's now a five-way circuit split on the question of when a human rights violation overseas can be uh, invoked and can be sued under the Alien Tort Statute. Um, the Supreme Court just last Monday uh, denied certiorari in a case out of Texas that actually gave it a chance to resolve that circuit split. I actually think that's the main attraction here, and corporate liability may very well end up being a sideshow. Jillian, which of the so-called liberal justices was asking questions that indicated that the corporations should not be immune? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Justice Kagan um, and Justice Sotomayor both suggested and telegraphed through their questions that they're pretty, they didn't really have a great, they didn't really buy the argument that corporations should be treated differently uh, than individuals, and they're pretty tough in questioning. And Justice Breyer as well, although less so. Justice Breyer actually is a little bit on the fence, I think. His question suggested he was somewhat sympathetic to the corporation's position uh, uh, for doctrinal reasons. So those are the ones that seemed uh, most engaged in this case. And Justice Ginsburg also asked a few questions, but she was not, didn't seem quite as much engaged as the other three. Steve, when you describe um, the 2004 decision, which sort of invigorated the statute, as you said, and then the 2000, you know, the, the later decision that cut back on liability, do you think the court sort of, in a majority of it anyway, regrets having invigorated the statute that much and is going to kind of chip away at it? Um, you know, I think that's a right question, Michael. I, I think that it's, the answer is maybe a little bit yes, a little bit no. I think part of the problem is that, you know, I don't think Justice Kennedy in particular wants to completely close the courthouse doors to all human rights violations except for those that just happen to take place on U.S. soil. And so I think what we saw in those earlier decisions, Sosa and Kiobel, was an effort on Justice Kennedy's part in particular to sort of split the difference, to open the courthouse doors to especially egregious claims but then to require that those claims not just be sort of accidentally in U.S. courts. Um, if that's the real tension, I don't know why corporate liability really, you know, has a big impact one way or the other. That may have a lot to say about why today's argument was so much more about the impact on foreign policy um, as opposed to the sort of concerns that led the court to the Kiobel decision back in 2012. Um, you know, I think the court wants to be able to have its cake and eat it, too. And that's why I think the territoriality question – when can you use the statute to challenge things that happened overseas is so much more of a significant piece of this puzzle than corporate liability. Now, of course, if the court says no corporate liability ever, um, that will probably you know, render the statute all but a dead letter. It's very rare that you're going to go after an individual person under the statute, um, but I don't think they're going to. And I think we're going to come back to the sort of calibration of claims where you know, some connection to the U.S. is all that's required, but that's, you know, that's what you're going to need. Julian, about uh, 30 seconds here. Do you think they're likely, the majority opinion, to be a limited opinion, as limited as possible? I think actually my reading is that there are four justices who would support holding corporations or not allowing corporations to be sued. So really just turning on Justice Kennedy. So I can see a split opinion here. Uh, it'll be very close and tight, I think. 
I think we've heard about Justice Kennedy in just about every case that we've uh, discussed so far in this beginning of the term. I want to thank you both for being on Bloomberg Law. That's Julian Koo. He's a professor at Hofstra Law School. And Stephen Vladek, he's a professor at the University of Texas Law School. 